0: I'm going to call on our first speaker, Kurt Anderson Newgard, um, a clinical nurse consultant, HIV mental health. Kurt has been working in the specialty of HIV mental health for 16 years and currently working back in his favorite area, community health. Um, he has a broad range of qualifications, including master's degree in public health, mental health nursing, and is an endorsed nurse practitioner. His current position has him as the only mental health worker within a generalist community nursing service of approximately 70 nurses. He's also a clinical lecturer with the University of Sydney teaching motivational interviewing and mental health nursing to accelerated masters of nursing students. He is passionate about equity of access and improving access to healthcare for marginalised communities and in particular people living with mental illness. So please welcome Kurt, thank you. Um. Um,
1: I'm going to talk about lots of things today. You may be a bit confused about me saying I am large um, and I contain multitudes. We all do this. This comes from a poem um, by Walt Whitman from 1855. It's called The Song of Myself. and I've always liked this part of the poem, it's actually really a long poem, but do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself. I am large, I contain multitudes. That means that he's writing that there is not just one of us, there are many, many, many of us um, sitting upside inside our skull-sized kingdoms. When I'm talking today, um, this is, because I work in HIV, um, a lot of the things that I talk about is about sex and about sexuality and activities related to both of those. But if I'm just talking about um, a minority sexual group, just replace it with either Aboriginal, Terrace Strait Islander, Asian, African, single mother refugee, someone who's mentally ill, like women, men, um, a pensioner, someone on the disability pension, someone who's unemployed, actually even a unionist could go into that list as well. So just replace when when you think, oh that's not related to me, because actually it relates to everybody and all you just need to do is replace a name. So what is culture? We can define it by a set of behavioural norms, um, the meanings and values, or really I just look at them as reference points where we all agreed on this is what this means, so we're all just going to do that. Um, it constructs our view of the world. We all have a similar view of the world, but we don't have an identical view of the world. So it creates and lets us be certain of our identity. Um, it varies, and it varies through languages, traditions, values, like religious beliefs, moral thoughts. Um, and moral practices, gender, um, sexual orientation and socioeconomic status, just to name a few. Um, but culture impregnates everything that we do, even if we acknowledge it or not. It still is doing that. Like even the clothing that we wear is imp- has been impregnated with our culture. And we don't even think about it. We just put it on. So this is the traditional cultural view. There is only one fishbowl and we live in the one fishbowl. But this is what actual culture is. Like, we jump from so many fishbowls into other fish bowls, and other people jump into our fishbowls. And it's a constant, I suppose, regeneration, uh, reinterpretation of what culture actually is. So our culture changes through time. Like, it's very different um, now, in many ways, than when I was young. Um, I grew up... These are some of my cultural multitudes, I'm going to talk about me. Um, I was actually born and lived for the first 12 years of my life in remote rural, Um, I think it's called that. It was between Moree and Lightning Ridge on a farm and Colarenabri was the closest town, which was an hour away. I obviously am male, so I have a cultural multitude around that. I grew up, I wouldn't define myself as racist, but I grew up in quite a racist environment, living on farms where um, Aboriginal people were living in missions outside, in corrugated iron missions outside of towns. Um, There were a couple of uh, families who lived in where I went to school, but my parents told me I couldn't play with them because they were dirty. So that just sinks in when you're young, you get impregnated with that sort of stuff. I'm European and my family background is European, you may have guessed that from my name. Um, I'm gay, I also am rural and have some rural type cultures. I'm 49 years old, I've been to university which has changed um, my view of the world. I'm Caucasian, so that has imprinted how I look at the world and how things occur for me and around me. Like, I am not concerned that there would be police in this room, but other people could very well be concerned, because I, I've never had any trouble with the police, I've never been picked on by the police, but that is one of my cultural multitudes, and that's how I think. Um, I'm a nurse. When we moved from the country, we moved to the Central Coast, which at the time did not have lots of housing estates on it. We used to go bushwalking next to the school. Now it's just um, sort of hills of um, houses. But that culture of the coastal going to the beach all the time, being a surfy, maybe or maybe not smoking dope, Um, so all of that sort of stuff. I come from a Western liberal tradition, which Australia sits in, Um, I am also a stepparent to two getting older boys. I'm also an 80s kid, like the New Romantics and Culture Club. I went to dance parties in the 80s, good times. And I'm in a long-term relationship. So being a gay male in a long-term relationship also changes the way that I look at the world as well. And, you know, I can be a bit judgy, but my head is a bit judgy. I am not judgy, and people don't know that I'm judgy. So when I'm talking today, I'm only talking about some people Um, because I'm trying to get it into my head and into your heads that it's just some people. Like we can't say that person is a representation of their entire race, their entire gender, so keep that in mind. Okay, back to containing multitudes, we develop our original culture um, through inculcation. We just get fed stuff, we're kids, we don't respond usually, we just get it poured into us. I can still sing the, song, the countdown, I know the tune, because that was inculcated into me. It came from school, it came from my particularly racist family. Um, my grandfather, he was now dead, was the particularly head of the racists. Um, the current political environment, I, I often wonder what kids, like under 10, or actually even under 15, are going to think about um, Muslim people and, when they grow up, because there's just such a terrible anti-Muslim thing everywhere that they see and go. So I wonder how that's going to play out. Um, so that's a current political environment. We get it from the media, we get it from our social class. Australia does have social classes, we should just accept that. It's based around money, usually. Um, Gender expectations, and there's a lot more to it. But explaining the inculcated culture is very, very difficult. If I asked you what is your family's culture, could you actually give me an answer? I'll answer for you. No, you probably couldn't. Um, Could you give your country's culture? Like, we, we lie to ourselves that we're the nation of a fair goer, and I'm not going to swear, but that's a load of. Um, your work culture, what is that like? So you need to start thinking about these sorts of things as well. But we're um, just reinforcing, <clears throat> excuse me, oh, I can't get away from the microphone. <laughs> um, sorry. <coughs> um, So we're all products of various cultures, but they also differ by location, by time, by place and space. Um, I would say that the culture, I'm I'm based, my desk is in Redfern, Um, I would say that the culture of Redfern is nothing like the culture of Glenelg in South Australia, I would say that. But you know, we're in the same country, but, but that's the difference in space. But there's also variations between cultures, there are variations within cultures. Um, The major influences, this is talking about the sex bit, um, on cultures on sexual attitudes and behaviors, these include socioeconomic status. Homosexuality was uh, okay with the upper classes in most cultures. Um, That's where socioeconomic status fits in. Uh, Levels of education, religion, um, ethnicity, ethnicity and or the nationality and also gender, like women, um, heterosexual women are much cooler about um, same-sex marriage than heterosexual men are, so gender has an influence as well. I'm sorry, but you are all racist. Uh, You are all homophobic, you are all biphobic and you're all transphobic. The good thing is though, you're probably only a little bit. You're not actively being these things. Um, And the way I would explain this to people is that um, I got lots of messages when I was young, and you know, still do, I have to admit, about how wrong it is to be gay and how I could threaten the basis of civilization. I will not threaten the basis of civilization, I can reassure you. But the thing is, I got those messages and so did you all. So there's a part of your head that, you know, harbours in, maybe in this one room, this automatic response about easy categorization of people just by a particular um, thing about them. I am a bit homophobic as well. I'm a little bit biphobic as well. One of the, I think, the most, one of the most horrible things that I have ever done in my life was making jokes about bisexuals. Um, in the presence of one of my friends who I didn't at the time know was bisexual. I am forever shamed by that, but it taught me quite a lot that, you know, I am these things too, but I am not actively these things. One of the things that does this to us is something called attribution theory. I try and talk sometimes with Andrew. We can actually think, well, we think we can actually explain everything through attribution. Um, We have a strong need to understand and explain things. The more simple one-line or one-word thing, the better for us. It's human, don't worry about it. Attribution theory, it's how we explain all behaviour. So, each attribution you make about a person or a group affects the next attribution that you will make about that person or group. So, with attribution theory, it's about for others, so other people, other races, other cultures, other religions, other genders, it's about personality and characteristics they have, or an internal disposition. I'll explain these things. When it comes to us and our people, or just us individually, it's external, it's situational, and it's not intentional. Now, the best way I can explain this is, say, when you're driving along and somebody cuts you off, if you can see what sort of person that is, well, not what sort of person, a, a distinguishing feature about that person, say they're an Asian female, you your automatic response to you, because this is one of the cultural messages, and people joke about it, is that women and Asians cannot drive. So you do a little road ragey thing, blah, blah, blah. blah. So that can be an automatic thing. But if we cut somebody off, we'll just do a wave and say, oh, that was an accident, everything's cool, and we just drive off. So that's how we do it. We do that with everybody. It makes sense of the world for us. It explains events for us. And it happens with all others. Like, we are the paragons of everything that's good in the world. Other people are not. Other groups are not. So, it explains events to us. Um, And the others can be races, can be people of different sexualities, different families, different setups of families, different religion, different hues of the same religion, different cities even. So, different anything. So, what happens to us about the effects of attribution? We get angry, we start to dismiss whole groups of people we become quite judgmental if we let it get out of hand, we become quite stressed and quite defensive, we close off ourselves to, to new people and new experiences, and we stop growing. And we lose quite a lot from stopping growing. So when do we do it? We do it for all events, all behaviours. We particularly do it when things are unexpected, like somebody pulls out, or any event that undermines control. like. Um, I won't tell a story, I won't. Okay, so how do we change attribution? Okay, you're not going to. You're just not going to change it. You're not gonna change the automatic about it. Do you think you can control what you think? Anyone? I'm gonna prove that I can control what you think. Okay, could you just close your eyes, please? Don't think about a banana. Okay, that'll be enough. I won't talk to you. Did you happen to think about a banana? Yes. You can't control what you think. Okay. Um, but we can be aware of when we're doing it. Um, and you need to be aware of when you're doing it. So it comes with a bit of self reflection. And when you're aware of doing it, you, you make a decision that you're not going to allow that automatic thought to have anything to do with your next response. And that's how you do it. So this may jump around a bit, but, you know. This is what I do for my work. So HIV mental health is my specialty. I keep thinking I'm talking into that. Um, I've got exposure to so many different cultures, groups of people, subgroups of people, practices and strategies that people have for living. Turn your phones down it 's mostly male because most in Australia mostly males are affected by HIV so these are both people who are HIV positive and at risk of the same um, a high proportion of cold people I deal with um, deal with manage help I prefer help and it informs what I talk about and how actually I view the world so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the people that I, I talk with so I have a fair number and have had contact with sexual minority, SM means sexual minority, keeping on going, uh, Muslim people, so from Turkey, the Middle East, Bangladesh, Indonesia, to name a few. Um, They're all in various relationship statuses. Some are students, some are residents, some are citizens. Um, Generally speaking, sexual identity emerges over time, Um, and it comes sometimes from exposure. Um, we are not the paragon of how we treat um, sexual minorities in this country, but, you know, we're, we're up there with not killing people. Um, generally, closeted, um, these people actually closet their religion. They closet their religion from mainstream gay people. They closet their ethnicity from the mainstream of Australians and they closet their sexual activity from their Muslim communities. So instead of just having one group of people that they feel they have to defend against, they have multiple different groups and can never escape having to defend themselves or not give out information about themselves, which is actually really difficult to do. The concept within Muslim um, culture is that orientation and identity is rejected. It's very not a Western identity. Um, sexuality is a choice, and it's linked to hedonism. That might be similar to some Western thought. Um, and it's similar to many religious views. So, as an example, I was um, assisting a gentleman with, from Syrian origin, he was 35 years old, he had a recent diagnosis of HIV. He was a late presenter. He ha- looked like he had HIV for about 10 years, which is, like, the outcomes aren't great. Um, oh, can I just add, if you're working in mental health, encourage testing of HIV. People with um, mental illnesses seven times more likely to um, have HIV. Um, he was the final financial supporter of the family. Um, he was, had a successful business, but he separated his life, his personal life, from his family. He, saw, he lived 50 kilometers away from his family to geographically separate, but he saw them every single day. Um, he had no relationships, uh, just sort of one-offs with people. He could not risk it. He could not risk being seen out on the street with another male not of his religious group. He struggled with this, um, struggled with his family, struggled with his religion and struggled with his sexuality, but he used his family's comments, who didn't know about his sexuality, as his self-image and what they would think of him if they ever found out. So, this always breaks my heart and I hope it always will. Um, Post the the Lindt Café siege, um, his family were discussing on the possible impact of Muslims in Australia. Um, they were sitting around a dinner party, a dinner table, um, spoke about the victims. One of his family members said, "Don't worry, he was only a pufta, so from one of the people who were killed. Uh, this shattered him, absolutely shattered him. Um, and he told me that he will kill himself before any of his family find out. One of his great fears is that that he will be in an accident and unconscious and his family will have access to his file, and that will destroy him. So he will kill himself. At some point in his existence, he will kill himself. And there's not much I can do about that. I can't make his family different and can't make them accepting. So another group of people that I see, um, particularly South Asian students, They have a very high risk of HIV. Um, Their sexual orientation can, in some ways, be um, a prompt to their migration. Australia is seen as a very open and liberal country. We are, comparatively, Um, our sexuality terms don't exist in this culture. A a gay is somebody who is receptive in anal sex. The the person who is top, um, is not seen as a gay person. They're, but it varies widely between caste. Um, there are greater opportunities for sexual expression for this group of people in Australia, and they, do, they come here to avoid discrimination and prejudice, um, which is in their home countries. So I saw this gentleman, he was 22, he was on a student visa. He was from a poor family, one of the stories you hear where the, um, the village get together, take a loan out and he um, he came here. Struggles financially because, they, you know, it's expensive to live in Sydney. Um, he came here to study and also wanted a bit of freedom that he could not experience. He'd have several same-sex relationships and several suicide attempts when those relationships failed. He just, he used them as evidence of every bad thing that he'd heard about gay people as being true. Um, And he had several courses, that's how I got to see him, of post-exposure prophylaxis, which you get if you have an exposure um, within 72 hours of HIV, or possible HIV. This was always post-relationship. He had an image of Australia that it was idyllic for gay people to live in. And comparatively to where he came from, yes it is, but emotionally for him it was not. This always breaks my heart. So this is a sexual minority Christian, Caucasian, North Shore, 19 years, never had any sexual activity, he wanted to tell the truth because his religion, the exclusive brethren, thought truth was everything. So he told the truth and came out to his parents. He, his parents immediately, they didn't say anything really, but immediately went and told the pastor, I'm not exactly sure what they call their priest people, um, who gave him counseling, which ba- was based really around um, telling him he was evil. So he then, he was actually, like, he had quite, I don't know, uh, a solid middle to him. He didn't think he was evil. He got thrown out of home because he wouldn't recant, basically. Um, Others in the church refused to speak to him or contact him again. His parents and siblings were instructed to do the same. He had multiple suicide attempts. He was supported by another Christian organisation which was very heartwarming and they were very accepting of him. He saw his mother once after being thrown out where he was allowed to um, go to his um, home and get some some, um, things and basically anything he could put in the car, the rest of it was burnt. He has not seen his family again. So that is a Caucasian Christian family. So I just want to move into um, sexual minority refugees, this is, like, there's a lot more examples of this. Sexual minority refugees are fleeing more than one thing. It could be a war, but it also could be other people wanting to kill them because of their sexuality. In 2000, there were two men who were in a relationship, it took them 15 years to get a visa. Um, in 2015, a Bangladeshi man was rejected. He was supposed to live. He, I'll tell you about the refugee tribunal in a tick. Um, in 2014, three African lesbians were rejected. They didn't look like lesbians. Was part of the rejection. Um, in 2016, two Iranian men, um, both gay, not in a relationship, were sent to Nauru. Interestingly, Nauru, for homosexuality, has 14 years' hard labour. So, not cool Australia. And a, Mo- a Mongolian man was refused asylum um, and was asked to produce a photo that he was ha- of him having sex with some, another man. So the refugee... Do- I don't know who is on the Refugee Review Tribunal, But they have these weird things about um, gay and lesbian, bisexual and transgender and intersex people that we read Oscar Wilde, um, that we have a particular way to dress, act and look, maybe from, um, I don't know, are you being served? It could be. Um, If you don't know who that is, then you're much younger than me. Um, Lesbians always have sex toys. Um, People have been told they don't look like a lesbian. And Claims have been made by the tribunal that asylum seekers could live in their home countries if they were discreet So why wouldn't you have a deep fear of authority if you were a refugee and you were a sexual minority refugee? So this is what the UN special, I don't know French, reporter um, On torture um, found in their report in 2010. I'll just let you read that yourself I added the from staff and other refugees, because some, um, sexual minority refugees get pretty much tortured in detention by heterosexual refugees, which is strangely ironic. Now, it is better in Australia for gay, lesbian, and bisexual people, that has that happened without a doubt. There are some legal protections for people, though the acceptance of trans and intersex people has been slower. It will come. Generally, to know a gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender or intersex person is to be okay about it. And the same actually is true for knowing somebody of a different religion, a different race, a different country. But it's also the same. At Scott's College a few months ago, I'll let you read that bit. I'll summarise. Um, the Culture Committee private schools, I don't know, I have culture committees, but they were worried that the gay agenda would enter into the school. So this is what they replied to the school, that homosexual sex is contrary to God's law and so is a sin. If you were a 14 year old boy or a 16 year old boy or a 17 year old boy who went to that school, how would you feel about that? So this is just from the internet. This is called Liberty Christian Ministries. It's, these people have covered up the ex-gay therapy, like you can get therapy to not be gay anymore. So if you just look at the um, second dot point, they're committed to the traditional understanding of biblical sexual boundaries. I don't know if you've read the Bible, but some of the sexual boundaries are pretty woe. But they're not talking about um, fathers having sex with, Um, or selling out their daughters, they're talking about gay people. And still the same in Melbourne in 2016. If you can't read that, it says cure AIDS, kick a poof to death. So, what can you do? Protection. You can offer protection. Because nothing changes for a tainted group unless there are external allies who can defend them. Education ad hoc everywhere, even in your own homes. Normalise whatever is abnormal or thought to be amongst your staff and your patients. If you're going to be involved in curriculum development, slip this in somewhere. But really you also need to examine your own ideas and your own automatic attributions, which is okay to do, you don't have to do it in a group but acknowledging that you have sometimes some automatic thoughts that you would not want broadcast to the world is a good place to start. And you need to challenge yourself as well. So de-blinding yourself to unmet needs, get less awkward talking about sex. I talk about sex all the time, and I often talk to mental health nurses about how to approach sex with um, their clients. So with transgender people, using preferred pronouns and names, Some people I have worked with um, do a bit hands on hips, well, no, they haven't had anything done, so I'm not going to change their their, um, moniker, basically. So avoid assumptions with trans people about that medical procedures or interventions have been undertaken. Um, And be very clear that sexual minorities or questioning or any race or religion um, membership is not an issue in itself. There is a lack of protection from discrimination um, and sexual orientation at a Commonwealth level, the state has them, so just get writing on that. And don't let them change 18C of the um, Racial Discrimination Act, which is the new pet thing of uh, extreme right-wingers at the moment. But the only thing you should remember is if you're going to walk past something, then you actually accepted and agreed to that thing. And I'm done. Thank you.